0: up everybody. This is Ryan Polly with Coffee House Questions. Last week we looked at the question of why trust the authority of scripture? Does it have authority over us and how can we read it critically? Well, this week we're going to start a critical approach at the topic of scripture by looking at the creation accounts. Are there two contradictory creation accounts in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Maybe you might be listening, you go, wait, what? Two different creation accounts? What is he talking about. Well, that is what we're going to talk about on the show today. Something I just covered recently in my high school class. Now, before we do, some fun exciting things have been happening here, having some speaking events, but also as I mentioned before, getting ready for a wedding. Uh now which is I think 5 days away. So, I think this is safe to say that this is going to be the last podcast before I'm gone for a little bit, getting married, going on a honeymoon and then see you guys. Afterwards. So nothing new coming out for the next couple of weeks, but that is why. Now, maybe this would be a good time for you to send in those questions, those comments, things that you want to hear on this show. Uh, as a chance for me to then come back and have some new topics, some things you want to hear, get talked to. There are, as always, some interviews that I want to get done. Hopefully have some more time uh, now that the wedding planning should be done, It will be done, right? Um, But now that the wedding planning will be done, um, get more time to do some more interviews, but also discuss some things that uh, are on your mind and questions that you have. So as always, go to facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions. There's where I post uh, the information. There hasn't been a lot posted lately, just been so busy with wedding, but uh, new information will be posted there. You can send in your questions there. Instagram is another great place at ryanpolly 3 Twitter as well at ryanpoly 3 uh, You can follow the story, the questions of the day when I post those and send in those questions there. Also, if you're more comfortable with email, contact at coffeehousequestions.com for email. And then finally, you can text them in at 714 989 six nine two seven. So those are the great ways to keep in contact. Also this last week I had the chance of speaking three times. I don't know why I took three speaking events uh the week before the wedding or the two weeks before the wedding. Uh but they were right at my school. Uh it's really fun. Uh, so on Tuesday, I was able to speak twice for the high school groups. We had breakout sessions at my school. And my topic was, do aliens exist? And so I figured that would be one that would really catch the attention of the high school kids. And it was a lot of fun talking about uh, the existence of aliens. Why do we think that they exist? How do we explain uh, the sightings that people have claimed to have? And then looking at what makes sense from the biblical approach as we look at astronomy and the planets. Uh, are are there planets out there that are are habitable planets? that uh, could contain life? Um, if so, how far away? What is the possibility of travel between you know, intergalactic travel? All that kind of fun stuff. I had a, a good time with those students. So um, that was a lot of fun. And then on Wednesday, I actually talked with the junior hires at my school on the evidence for the resurrection. And so they are in a time where they are asking some big questions. So I was asked to come in and give a talk on the evidence for the resurrection. Now, tomorrow, I'm going to be participating on a panel discussion at my high school uh, on uh, texting and questions on relationships and that sort of thing. So that's going to be fun tomorrow. Now, a couple of public events. On November 25th, the week after I get back from my honeymoon, I will be speaking at For His Glory Church in Fullerton, uh, and I will be doing an exegetical class on interpreting the Olivet Discourse. Now, uh, that is my home church where we are doing a, currently doing a study on eschatology. That is uh, our discipleship class that we're taking right now is eschatology and uh, looking at many different forms of eschatology. And so I'm teaching two weeks. So this is a class where you can come to church. Church starts at 930 And then uh, service goes till about 1015 to 1030. No, sorry. The church starts at nine and then goes to about 1015 to 1030. And then discipleship classes from 1030 to 1130. And so from 1030 to 1130, I'm going to be doing a class on how do we interpret the Olivet Discourse. Uh, And then again on December 23rd, right before Christmas is the last class of our eschatology class. And I'm going to be teaching that one again on the eschatological hope and a view of how it ends. Judgment heaven and hell. So the hope that we have based on how the story ends. So I'm really looking forward to those two talks. Those are both open to the public, so you can come out, uh, check those out. Now, uh, in the meantime, I'm teaching uh, at the Forest Glory High School group on the entertainment culture, December 14th, uh, also January 25th and February 8th on Christians and the LGBT community, part one and two for the church uh, youth group. And so those are all the different events I have from now until February 8th. So i taken a little break for the wedding and then Christmas, but then back at it after the new year. Uh, so there's a little update on what's going on. And just want to thank you guys uh, for listening, for uh, the encouragement, those of you who've been sharing and, and rating the show. It really has meant a lot. So I think that's it for the updates. Let's get into our content. So last week, or I guess it wasn't last week, but the last episode I did, we talked about this idea of reading the scripture with our minds that when we read it with our minds, uh, it should bring up questions and so this week uh, the last two weeks, we were talking about the doctrine of creation in my high school class, so obviously looking at the creation account more than just memorizing what happened each day, but really looking at the theology of it. Uh, what are the what is the significance uh, and the things that are impacted in the Christian faith based on the doctrine of creation. So one of the things that I did uh, with my high school students, as we talked about, you know, are there two creation accounts? And so what I did is I broke my class up into two groups. I had one group read Genesis chapter one, and they had to write a detailed list uh, showing the order in which things were created based in Genesis chapter one. And then the other group read Genesis chapter two, creating a detailed ordered list of the things that happen in Genesis chapter two. After they come up with their list and they did their group work uh, in their groups, then they had one person come up to the board and they wrote out the list on the board. And after both lists were on the board, then I had my school, my students look at it and say, okay, what do you see? What uh, is unique? What is different? What is off? And uh, it took a little bit of time, but one of my classes, immediately one of the students said, hey, those lists don't match. It's off. That There seems to be two creation accounts in Genesis. Now, the other thing that we see if we're reading critically should just be in the first chapter of Genesis. So let's go over these two, uh, what seem to be contradictions. So if you're going over the order of creation things in chapter one, let's say you're a new believer or you're going to start your read the Bible in one year plan. Maybe many of you will start that here in about two months. But you start your read the Bible in a year plan. You open up Genesis chapter one. You see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you kind of just read very quickly through the Genesis creation account. Maybe, you you know, it's kind of one of those things like I've heard this story before. I'm good. Uh, And we kind of skim over those parts that we've heard many times. But again if we're reading this with a critical mind, uh thinking about the things that we read, here's two things within the first chapter of many that hopefully should stand out. So, verse 3, and God said, "Let there be light," and there was light, and God saw the light and it was good. And God separated the light from the dark. He called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and morning, the first day. All right. Then uh, that God let there be the expanse in the midst of the waters. Let them separate the waters from the water. So there's day two. God creates the heavens and creates those expanses between the waters. Then starting in day three, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. So God creates dry land and the earth, as well as the water gathered together, which were the seas. And then let the earth sprout vegetation, plants. And so you have plants, land, and seas and oceans and that sort of thing coming on day three next section next paragraph in chapter uh, sorry chapter one verse 14 then god said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and separate the day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons for days and for years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give the light upon the earth and it was so god made two great lights the greater light to rule over the day the lesser light to grew, grew, to rule over the night so god set these things out and, he, and on day four he creates the sun the moon and the stars now We should stop here for a second and go, wait a second. How is it that there is light created on day one? Let there be light. And then at the end of the first day, there was morning and there was evening. And at the end of the second day, and there was evening and there was morning. And the end of the third day, and there was evening and there was morning. When the sun, the lights in the sky were not created until day four. And I asked my students, I said, how is it that you have light evening and morning without the sun? Because what is the source of light for our universe? Well, the sun is. So if you don't have the sun, what's the light? Well, maybe there's another form of light. Maybe there is, right? And that's something that we can begin to ask questions about. Now, what but if we are reading critically, this should come up. Wait a second. There's a question mark. What is this light source if it is not the sun? How is light happening? How is there evening and morning because evening and morning makes sense with the sun being the center and the earth rotating and there's evening and morning but if we just read this and and there's not even a thought in the back of our mind maybe it shows that we're not reading it as critically as we should and so there's our first big question that we'll answer here in just a moment and we'll at least look at one possible explanation but my students were kind of caught off guard that I've never actually thought about that before. Now, then you go on. So you have uh, on day three or sorry, day four, you have the sun, the moon and the stars. Uh, Day five, let the waters swarm with with living creatures and let the birds fly above uh, the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Day six, let the earth bring forth living creatures and all their kinds and livestock and creepy things and beasts of the earth according to their kind, and it was good. And then finally, God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. So you have this idea that most of us probably understand this basic creation account. And if you've actually stuck with me, rather than skipping forward, yes, I understand the creation account. What we see, you have the lights, and then you have the expanses, and then you have uh, the earth and the water and the vegetation. And then you have the sun, the moon, the stars, then the sea creatures, the birds, the beasts of the field. And finally, the pinnacle of creation is human beings created in the image of God. Now, if you jump over to Genesis chapter two, verse four, there These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, starting in verse five, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground and a mist uh, was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So here we see, okay, when there was no bush of the field in the land, no small plant of the field, when there were no plants in the land, God created man and breathed life into him. So it sounds like you first have creation of the heavens, creation of the earth, then you have creation of the man. And then after it says, then the, uh, the Lord breathed life and the man became a living creature. Verse eight, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And there he put man whom he had formed and God and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. And so now after Adam is on, in the land, All the trees and all the plants that are pleasant and good for food now spring up, one of which was the tree of life and then the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it sure seems like, based on this, that plants were created after humans. Now, let me continue one last thing before we start diving into this. If you jump down to verse 18... Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds and the heavens and every beast of the field. But Adam, there was not a a helper found for him. So the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he was asleep, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So we look here in verse 19, it says, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and brought them to Adam. So again, if we're looking at Genesis chapter two now, we see it looks like, it appears that God makes the heavens, the earth. He makes then Adam. Then after making Adam, all of the plants spring up in the land. After the plants spring up in the land and Adam is tending to the garden, then God forms all of the animals, brings them to Adam to be named and finally creates Eve. And so when you have these two accounts written out on a board, it shows heavens and earth. Adam plants animals, Eve. Are these contradictory creation accounts? Does this create another problem within the first two chapters of Genesis? Now, whether you think it does or not, we're going to look at the answer here in a second. This at least should bring up that question mark. You should read this and go, hold on a second. Wait, I thought Adam was created last in creation. Why is it that in Genesis chapter two, one chapter later, it looks like he's created first. This should warrant a little bit of an investigation. Again, when I brought this up to my students, it was kind of like, wow, I've, I've never actually seen that before. What are we supposed to do here? How do we make sense of these two things? Now, I remember the first time uh, that a Christian came up to me and said, yeah, Genesis 1 and 2 are contradictory creation accounts. Yeah, there are contradictions in Scripture, but don't worry about it. Just have faith. And I thought... Really? This is a huge problem if we are going to agree that there are two, at least two contradictions within the first two chapters of Genesis, where you have a problem with the sun and the light, and you have another problem with the contradictory creation accounts. If we're going to admit two huge contradictions within the first two chapters of Genesis, man, are we going to allow for contradictions and mistakes other places? How do we know what else is true? We're definitely not at that point holding on to inerrancy anymore, where the original have no heirs. And so we have this huge problem. Does God make mistakes? Are there errors within these first two creation accounts? Well, in order to answer this, you have to answer a question. What is the context? My hermeneutics professor, Dr. Shan, would say, context, context, context. We'd have to chant it. Context is so important when you are looking at Scripture, We first have to understand historical context. What is happening at that time? First of all, as much as I agree that Genesis does line up with science and that it is written as an orderly scientific account, as you heard in my interviews with Dr. Hugh Ross, it's not initially purposeful as a scientific text, right? The context of Genesis chapters one and two is written to the Israelites, written to the Jewish people at that time, which didn't have understanding of Big Bang cosmology and particle physics and that kind of stuff, but knew of pagan myths about creation origin stories. And so God is giving them the origin story. This is what really happened. This is how I created. That's the context. Now, if what God did actually happened, and we are studying using science to discover what God did, then our science is going to line up with Genesis chapter one and two, but is not primarily written as a scientific text. But we look at this, we can't just say, oh, there are mistakes. So first we look at the context. What is the context? Who is it written to? How is it written? The second thing that we need to look at is the literary context. Now this one can be more Intricate. Now, when it comes to the light, I think this one is. Knowing the original language might help a little bit. The second one, I don't think we need to understand... The original language in order to stand the contradictions, or the apparent contradictions between Genesis chapter one and chapter two. So let's go over this really quickly. Now, in the first two chapters of Genesis, there are four distinct verbs to describe God's creation miracles. Now, I did take a semester of Hebrew, but my Hebrew is terrible. It was the very last semester of my graduate studies. Uh, but we have four different Hebrew verbs here. First, we have bara. This is normally used to describe, it only describes a, an act performed by God, usually things coming into existence for the first time. So for example, bara is used in creating the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1, the creation of animals in one twenty one, the creation of humans, and then the creation of heavens and earth again in Genesis 2.4. The second word uh, here used to mean create is asah, and this is the generic verb meaning to do or to make. This is normally uh, recasting of existing materials into new form. Human activity can do this. You make something, you make a pot out of clay. You're recasting the clay into something else. So saw is used in Genesis one sixteen for the two greater lights. It's used uh, in one twenty five for the beasts of the field. It's used one twenty six for man. Uh, and then also for everything else, uh, for everything that was um, made in Genesis one thirty one. Thirdly, there is haya. And this is kind of means to let there be, similar to the verb to be. And this is used in Genesis 1, 3, and let there be light. Um, in 1, 6, the expanse of the waters. And then 1, 14 and 15, the light in the heavens. And then finally, there is yassar. I think that is how you say it. But this is the uh, divine kind of potter giving shape to the dust of the earth. So the forming of man and forming of the beasts of the field. In 2, 7 and 8, and then two nineteen. All right. So here's the main things here. When we understand this, when God is creating something for the first time, he's using bara, the creation of heavens and the earth, the creation of humans. And this is not used when talking about the light and the expanse of the sky, where he says, let there be light. This is a Hayah miracle. This is, uh, implies allowing nature to run its supernatural directed course. It is directed supernaturally, but it's running the supernaturally directed course in order to produce a result. It's not typically referred to when things come into existence for the first time. And so an example, an explanation that Hugh Ross gives that I think at least satisfies me is this, that in the beginning, Genesis 1 1, God created the heavens and the earth. That is when the sun, the moon, and the earth and everything were formed that God created all the heavens and the earth, everything out there comes into existence, but that our atmosphere was very dense. It was opaque. It was not able to see through. And then when your context changes your location from kind of being in outer space to now hovering, the spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters. You're now between the waters and the atmosphere where it is now dark. And then God says, let there be light. That is the hayah verb. And uh, the atmosphere begins to clear up supernaturally. It is a miracle by God. It clears up and now light is visible, but the sun is out there. The sun is burning. The light is now visible on the surface of the waters. And that is how how you're able to have light morning and evening. And then on day four, where it says, then there are lights in the sky. Let there be lights in the sky. In the heavens then the atmosphere becomes transparent where now you can see through it and you can now see the sun the moon and the stars so i think that is a very basic uh, i think explanation that makes sense to me understanding how the lights were created i don't see anywhere in the creation account that you have to accept the fact that the sun and the moon were created out of nothing, ex nihilo, on day four, and then having to then come up with some other explanation for where this light was coming from. I think when understanding the context, the literature context, the, the grammar used here, then this can make sense. Now, what about the two creation accounts? Is What is the contradiction as we looked at? It has creation of Genesis chapter one, man is last. Genesis chapter two, it looks like man is first. Now, we have to understand the context. Now is the literary context. So one of the things we look at when you're reading literature is what is the setting? What is the setting that we are talking about? The setting changes. So I normally give this example of understanding context. It's if you read a, a headline in the news that said the lions destroyed the dolphins, you might go, wait, what? What are the Lions doing in the ocean? Why are they, How did the Lions get in the ocean? Why didn't the Dolphins just swim away? Well, it's that sounds silly because then if you look at the context and you realize you're reading the sports section, you go, oh, we're talking about football here. The Detroit Lions beat the Miami Dolphins, right? That makes a big difference. It changes your perspective from talking about the ocean and somehow the Lions got in the ocean or the Dolphins came into the, wherever the Lions are on the plains, or you're now talking about football and this makes whole lot more sense. So when we look at Genesis chapter two, your perspective needs to change. When you are reading Genesis chapter two, notice how when you start in verse four, no bush of the field was yet in the land. What is the land that we're talking about? Well, it begins to go on about how God puts Adam in the land. Well, what is this land? Then God planted the garden. And verse 10, the river flowed out of Eden and everything else in the entire chapter is about the garden of Eden. And so I think it makes sense to say that the context of Genesis chapter two now is the garden of Eden. Now this helps make sense of a lot of these contradictions. Hugh Ross explains it this way. and He says, while Genesis one focuses almost entirely on the physical creation, what God made or, uh, made or made happen and in what order Genesis two begins to elaborate on the why or purpose of creation Genesis one storyteller describes the unfolding scene of the six day creation from the advantage point somewhere just above the earth's surface, but below the clouds. as God prepared a suitable ha- habitat for humanity? Genesis two zooms in on a small portion of earth's surface Eden and what occurred from the vantage point of one human being the first human in that locale walking and awakening to the sights and sounds around. And so if you read in Genesis chapter two, you see these things kind of stand out. It says no plant of the field had yet sprung up. And then God caused plants to spring up. Now, is it possible for there to be no plants in that land, in the area where the garden was and for there to be plants on other places around the globe? Absolutely. Right. We use this term all the time on my land. There are no animals. What's true. On the land in which I am right now, there are no animals. There are animals on the person's land next door. They have a dog right next to me. There's a bird and the bird squawks and squawks. It's so annoying. But on my land, there are no animals. This makes sense when we understand what is the context of land. We're not always talking about the entire globe. This is one thing that we have to be careful with, right? There's lots of this kind of off point, but uh, similar. And a lot of times it's, you know, when we say I can do all things through Christ, does it really mean all? Well, that all is kind of like, you know, as you're reading a menu and you say, yeah, I'll eat anything. And what you mean is you'll eat anything on the menu. If you got to, you know, run to the bathroom while someone's ordering, yeah, I'll eat anything. Just order me anything. Well, they don't really mean anything, anything on the menu. And so here we say there's no plants in the land. Well, it's possible on that land, There were no plants, but there were on other parts of the globe. And then we look at this further in verse 18 and 19. It says, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird and brought them to man. God had done this. God had made the animals and then he brought them into the garden for Adam to name. And so again, this is not saying that animals did not exist beforehand, But now this is focusing in on Adam, what his role is in the garden, and how God brought up the plants around him in the garden. And then God brought the animals that he had formed out of the ground to Adam to name. So Hugh Ross goes on and says again, Genesis 1 presents the major physical creation events in a time-ordered sequence. In Genesis 2, God introduces the first humans to their setting, first to the misty land itself, then to the plants, then to the higher animals, and finally to each other. That is God sequentially lays out humanity's authority over the responsibility to manage different components of his earthly creation, but offers only a highly condensed non-sequential summary of his physical creation activity. No contradiction can be inferred legitimately from differences between these two versions of the creation story. So I hope this uh, little, approach and and diving in just a little bit into these scriptures helps you understand what is happening here. Understanding the context, the change of perspective, the change of setting allows us to read these two accounts in harmony. They're not both offering a big picture timeline of creation event. Instead, they're each defining and describing a different aspect of creation. And when we understand this, then this apparent contradiction becomes clear. Look, you don't need a master's in theology or a doctoral degree in order to understand this. We shouldn't be Christians just to go, well, yeah, there's a contradiction. It doesn't make any sense. Instead, we should read scripture with a critical mind. We should actually be using our mind as we read. When we see something that doesn't make sense, then we have to take a step back. Read the verse, not just in the verse. Read the entire context, read the paragraph, read the chapter, understand the book, look at the setting, look at the literary context. And the first one, as I pointed out, yeah, that is a little bit more in depth. I think looking at the Hebrew and understanding what the verbs mean. The second one is not that difficult. The second one is simply just looking at Genesis chapter two and saying, okay, what is the setting? We're not talking about the entire globe here. Everything here in Genesis two is focused on the garden of Eden. That's our setting. That is the land in which we're talking about here. And now it makes sense. It's not saying that Adam was created first before all these things, but God is bringing Adam into the place and bringing his creation before Adam showing him what he is going to rule and reign over. So hopefully this approach has helped you not only clear up this contradiction, but hopefully helped you in the future as more things come along. You now have a kind of a system in which you can approach the different contradictions and apparent contradictions that you see in scripture. So hopefully that's helped you. Again, this is going to be the last episode that I am recording before I get married. I will be back with you guys as a married man here in a few weeks, but I hope that you have an awesome few weeks as I go off. And enjoy and celebrate this new chapter in my life as well. Thank you so much for listening. Send in those comments, send in those questions, and I appreciate everything that you've done. For those who are listening, I look forward to talking with you more when I get back in a few weeks. Sip coffee, think deeply. This is Coffee Ask Questions with Brian Pauly. Your love will guide my way.